So church, we can, we can sing it is well with my soul because of Christ and Christ crucified and his resurrection. So Linda, we sing a song like this and it means so much meaning after a week like this. The church is praying. Um, it is well with my soul. I remember my, my first grand, my first kind of major death in my family when my grandpa died and the congregation singing that in Necare Christian Reformed Church in Holland and just tears. It's, it's a powerful, powerful statement that it can be well with our soul no matter what's going on in life. And we just want to praise God for, for that. So I hope you spent some time this week really thinking about the glory of God. Just letting that wash over you. And, and as I thought about it more and more, I just blown away that God wants us, his people, to be his advertisements for his glory. I hope you chewed on that this week. We can be advertisements individually, but we get to be advertisements as a corporate body as well. To glorify God in everything that we do. So there was, a, there was a time where FBC gathered. And we're going to be talking about gathering this morning. And we didn't gather at 3258 North 72nd Avenue um, to hear a sermon or to, to sing together corporately. We didn't gather for a special event or a program. Instead, we gathered at 3339 North 60th Avenue. Not all of us, but a good chunk. And that's where I live. So let me tell you a little bit about it. We moved here in January of 2008 to, to be your associate pastor. We rented a beautiful home from the Bags on the looking over the dunes in Lake Michigan. And we stayed there for three um, years. During that time, we knew God had called us to FBC, but we were still kind of putting our toes in a little bit. Like, is this where God wants us full-time? Because I've always asked God, call me and leave me as long as you want somewhere. But we were still not sure. And about three years into the call, we get a call from our church back in Zealand saying, we'd love for you to come and be our candidate for our youth pastor. And we didn't talk to too many people about it, but Stacy and I were like, this is what we were kind of hoping for that would happen. We prayed. A few of you prayed. And it was abundantly clear that God said, nope. We want you to stay at FBC as for as long as I'm going to let you, and we want you to put roots down here. And it's been a great joy over the last 10 years to, to do that. But during those first three years, we, 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 we kind of partially looked at homes. So, so my apology to Kelvin of Roscam, who was our realtor, for three years he brought us from Scottville to New Era, and we looked at homes left and right. And we just couldn't find that right home. And I think part of it was because we weren't sure. Is this where God has us for sure? But once we made that commitment and said, God, this is where you want us, and he made that extremely clear, we were coming to church, I think it was April of, or May of 2011, and we're driving down Tyler Road, and Stacy's just glassing, the, glassing around looking. Usually I'm the one looking for deer, but she was looking for homes. And uh, <laughs> she, she, she said, hey, there's a for sale by owner, a for sale sign in this house over there. So I talked to Calvin at church this morning. I said, hey, there's this old farmhouse with a for sale. I think it was by auction. He said, it's bad. It's, it's, it's really, really bad. It didn't stop Stacy. So she scheduled for an appointment. We walked through it. She saw potential. I love that about her. 
And it was worse than I even thought it would be. <laughs> we put a bid on the house and we got it. We received the keys during the loft campout event that year and we had three months to be out of the rental and three months to have this house livable. The work that needed to be done was overwhelming. And you started to show up. Demolition crews, plumbers, electricians, drywall installers, painters, babysitters. Oh, how you loved on our children. We had just returned from Colombia that previous spring, adopting Luisa, the second child that we adopted. And you guys loved on them as a body. And it was an amazing gift to us and to the community to watch that. It was a gathering of God's people at our homestead there. And the community took notice. And many gospel conversations happened because of what happened there. But that's not the only time you encouraged our family by gathering as a church. Both adoptions, we were in the process of our first adoption when we moved here. And the way you rallied around us and supported us as Stacy lived in Guatemala for seven weeks. When we almost lost Easton at 14 years old, you rallied around us. All the graduation open houses in the barn. The weddings, now we've had two of them. The, the funerals. When my sister-in-law died at 34 years old, Ruth Babbitt drove all the way down just so she could be with us. And so did a few others of you guys. So many gospel conversations have happened because the church gathered in unity and support and love. And many of you have similar type of stories and situations that you could tell throughout your life. There is something special when the church gathers, not only outside these walls, but inside these walls as well. Psalm 122, verse 1, one of my favorite verses. I was, what? Glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, that gladness has grown over the years, and the passion for God's church has grown in my life. But even as a young child, I remember looking forward to going to church. I was glad when they told me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I know that church gets a lot of bad press in the world today, but the church, when it functions and gathers the way that God intended it to do, there is nothing, nothing as powerful on this entire planet as the church that's gathered and then scatters on mission. Ryan, did you move over here today? <laughs> We're starting. Took three years. Keep it going. Last week, M was here, and M, the Hertzler's son-in-law, who did the benediction, and he's usually very vocal. The last few times here, he hasn't been very vocal, and I said, hey, next time you come, you've got to ramp that back up, so <laughs> be ready when Hertzler's come back, and, a few, and, a, and a, the Botangs come back. So today, we're going to be reminded of the church that gathers, and the power in it. So stand with me as we read just a few short verses. We're going to stay in the book of Acts, is where we've been the last couple weeks. Um, we're going to read just the end of chapter 4. Let's read this together. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified 
resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. And there is no needy people among them, because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. All, whoa, whoa, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring money to the apostles. <laughs> We read that last part twice, but it's the word of God, and I guess we needed to hear it. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your church. The word of God elevates the church, and it tells us that Jesus loves the church. Oh, Father, give us a heart for the church, for the, for the, for the people that you have called out to be your people. God, as we meet here on Sundays and throughout the week, and we meet at homes and different various capacities, God, may, may the passion to be together grow so that the community takes notice and says, there's something different about FBC. Oh, man. God, grow that in us. May we have hearts to do what you have called us to do. I know there's people here in this room and people online that have been hurt by church and hurt by conversations that have happened. Got to hear their hearts this morning. May they catch a glimpse of the beauty of what you have designed. So may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my hearts, my heart be pleasing to you, for you are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please take a seat. So one thing I love about the book of Acts is that its author, Dr. Luke, is such a gifted historian and gifted storyteller. He's able to give us pictures of the church on the move, the gospel on the move, and then he gives us glimpses of what we call inside the huddle of when a church gathers. And he paints what, what they were doing to help expand God's kingdom in that area. We have this idea in our, in our culture today that, that unity would be great, but that can't happen when a large group of diverse people gathered together. We've been spoon-fed superficial idea about unity, and we, and we have these, these, these ideas that, I just don't know. But these verses this morning are going to give us insight, three ideas into what unity looks like when a church is gathered. So we're going to look at these verses, talk about those three ideas, and then I'm going to give you four reasons of why I need to go to church and be with God's people. So number one, our unity is established in the gospel. All the believers were united in heart and mind. The ASV says it this way, Now the full number of those who believed, Acts 1, 120 believers. Acts 3, 3,000 people were saved at Pentecost. Acts, five, Acts 4, 5,000 men, not including the women and children. So we have over 10,000 baby believers, baby Christians that are now gathered. They're all united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel, what did they believe? That Jesus is the Son of God. That the God, his father, Jesus' father, sent him to earth as a human. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was crucified and hung on a Roman's cross. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. 
and then he ascended into heaven after he gathered with some of his followers, and then he sent the Holy Spirit to transform our lives and to transform these gatherings from the inside out. It's a powerful thing. So Act 2 also tells us, and I didn't read it, but the group that gathered at Pentecost was from every nation under heaven. It gives us a glimpse into what our eternal future is going to look like. And this is important for us as a church, that we need to pursue biblical unity and racial unity as God's people. And it began in the early church. Not because the world is chasing after that type of unity, but because of the word of God tells us that we need to pursue biblical unity. When we are reconciled with Christ, it transforms all of our other allegiances and relationships. But first, we have to be transformed by the gospel. And these people were, all of them. All the believers were united in heart and mind. Remember what Jesus prayed in John 17? Um, it's the high priestly prayer. I'm praying not only for these disciples, the 12, but also for all. Who's that? All. Does that include us? All who will believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the whole world will believe you sent me. It's a testimony to the gospel of Christ. This unity. This unity that this unity that they had. He's praying for them, and he's praying for us. One of the greatest witnesses that a church has and always will be is that we dwell together in unity while we're here on a Sunday morning and then we go outside these walls. Psalm 133, verse 1. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. You preach that the whole hour. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. We will walk with each other through thick and thin. And when we walk with each other, we will rub each other wrong. But when we rub each other, what we are doing is we are taking off some of those sharp edges. And we are, we are shape and shape each other into who God wants us to be as a people. Through adversity, through pain, through hardships. It's so easy to say, I'll walk with you as a friend, but not as a brother. God's calling us to walk together as a brother, as a sister, to sharpen us and train us, strengthen us. It's a good thing. Life is meant to be lived together in unity. The gospel of Jesus Christ has made a way for us to do that. Second main point from this passage. Our unity is empowered by our testimonies. Acts 4, um, 33, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. That word here, power, is mega or dynamite is translated into. So with explosive power, not with fear and trembling, not with just, oh, I think it might work, but with explosive power, they testified to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They could not stop talking about what Jesus had done and what they had witnessed. And because they talked about it, what does, what does the Bible say? The Word of God says? Great 
blessing fell on them. In the ESV, it says, great God's great grace fell upon them. Church, I want that in my own life. I want that for us corporately, that God's blessing, that his great grace will fall upon us. We need to share our stories. That's how it's going to happen according to this passage. Share the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Tell your story. Be obedient to what God's called us to. The easiest way to have a gospel conversation is to tell our stories. So when people, I remember one time, the guy that dropped off the drywall to our house, somebody from the congregation, we were going to like build our walls like two-thirds of the way up with new drywall, and the top we were going to leave just because it was a lot cheaper. Somebody from the church said, no, we're going to buy you your drywall. And we didn't even ask them. They had it delivered. So I was talking to the delivery driver about what was happening, and I got to share the gospel with him. Because the church gathered, and I could share our story, and I could share Christ. So people are watching. They know where you are on Sunday morning. They're not stupid. They know that every week that you guys gather, and we gather, on Sunday morning. And they're watching, and they're thinking to themselves. Every Sunday morning, this is what you do? Is it making a difference in their life? We need to tell our stories. They need to see evidence of it in our lives. So every gospel testimony has three parts. This is who I was before Christ. I was broken. I was a, I'm a sinner. I, I was lost. But this is how the gospel reached me. This is the moment I repented of my sins. I recognized I couldn't do it on my own. When Christ and Christ crucified became everything to cover the sins before my Father. And this is the difference that's made in my life. Three simple part testimony to let the power of the gospel, the power of God fall on our lives. But let me say one more thing. At the youth pastor for 12 years here, I was shocked at the number of times students had never heard their parents' or grandparents' testimony. Start with your children. Tell them it over and over and over how you accepted Christ, where you were in life. Don't be ashamed of that. If they get to see a little bit of your ugly past, good. Tell them the story of Christ in your life. When you accepted Christ and let them see the evidence in your life of what Christ is doing. Amen? Third point. Our unity, our unity is experienced by generosity. Just like my family has never forgotten how you gathered around us. When you show up in the hospital. When you show up with a casserole. When, 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 you, when you show up to swing a hammer. When, when you show up to pray. When you show up to cry with someone, people never forget that. It's powerful. Now I say that, and as I'm writing these words, honestly, this is true, writing these exact words, and I think it was Wednesday morning, get a call from Larry Flood. Called the office. Barb's in surgery. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I forgot about it. (laughs) I didn't, I totally slipped my mind. So I called him and said, sorry, I should have been there to pray. He goes, don't, don't worry, 
I have, fam- I have other people here praying. The church gathered. Family gathered. So at the end of verse 32, it says, All A little different version up there than in my notes. All the believers were unified, united in heart and mind, and they felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. Verse 34 says, There were no needy people among them because they owned land or houses and would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. So who participated in the giving? Was it 20% of the church? No. Who participated? All, right? When did they do it? Anytime there was a need. What did they offer? Anything that they had. That was their passion. So let's not overcomplicate this. The early church's bottom line was generosity. They were not possessed by their possessions. They had been so transformed by Jesus, they lived with open hand and it brought unity and gospel conversations. In, in two more weeks, my entire sermon will be on give. A gospel-powered church gives. So we're not going to belabor that this morning. So the three things that we've learned from this passage is unity is established in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unity is empowered by our testimony. And unity is experienced by generosity. When a church gathers. But now what I want to do is I want to try and change gears. I want to give you four reasons why I go to church, why we need to gather. So many well-meaning Christians who call themselves followers of Jesus have confused this issue. They would tell you to your face, I love Jesus. I'm following Jesus. And yet they are not part of a local church or they very seldom gather with a local body. Let me give you a little statistic that might surprise you. Maybe it won't. The average evangelical family in America spends two hours a month with their church family. If you come twice a month, it's an hour, three hours, because our services are a little longer. 70% of churches have less attendance now than 10 years ago. Only 47% of Americans have a house of worship they would call their home church. We have to be together in order to grow as a body of believers. It's not just here in this building, but outside these walls as well. Do you realize that post-COVID, we are the exception, not the norm? 80% of churches in America are not back to their pre-pandemic levels yet. Why? Because people did not value their church family. People did not value coming together as God's people. Period. Southern Baptist Theological Seminary professor Herschel York puts it this way. The easiest act of obedience for a Christian is gathering with the church on the Lord's day. And it only involves getting up, getting dressed, and getting there. Yet amazingly, too many Christians will not do the easiest thing and wonder why we struggle with the more difficult things. I read that and I'm like, Amen. I heard a pastor say one time, Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. Now that's a good word. Think about your lives and your calendars and the decisions you make through the week. 
Is church a priority? Is gathering with God's people a priority? You're all here. So put your hand in the air. Pat yourself on the back. You set the alarm. You made it here. Thank you. Thank you for making it a priority to be gathered with God's people. Next week, as you've heard already, there'll be two options. 915, 950. Woo, 1050. <laughs> Mike, I'm going to be really quick. <laughs> 915 and 1050. Can I encourage you to come to both? Come to one service and come to Sunday school. We've got five Sunday school options for adults. And we have curriculum for the teens that is gospel-centered, is powerful, and the young kids. Gather so you get to know your brothers and sisters. One of the things we hear over and over, oh, it's going to split the church. No, it won't. Be intentional about gathering with each other here on Sunday mornings and outside of these church walls. Gathering needs to be a priority. You can listen to great sermons online. You can listen to preachers that are way better than I am. You can gather good information with just a click on Google, anything you want to know, but you cannot replace what the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit inside of me connects with the Holy Spirit inside of Jesse on a Sunday morning. There's just nothing else like that. You cannot recreate that. You cannot have that other places. You have to be gathered to have that to happen. What an opportunity when the world watches us as believers to see a thing of beauty. So why do we gather? I've got four reasons that I want to talk about. And there could be a lot more, so these are just four. I can already hear it. Pastor, you missed one. Yep. <laughs> Gathering with fellow Christians is essential for my faith. Luke 11. Listen to what Jesus said. Whoever is not for me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. As Christians, we have to ask ourselves, am I gathering with and for the Lord Jesus or am I scattering? Many Christians believe that gathering is optional. Jesus believed it's essential. After Jesus was resurrected, he went and he found his disciples. Where were they? Were they all together in one group? No. They were scattered. They were scared. They were running. He went and he found their leader. And he brought them back together. And he, and he challenged their leader, Peter. And he asked them three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? In John 21, 16, I love, this is the second time that he asked this. Don't miss this. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John. He used the name his mother gave him. Anytime my mom would say, Ryan John, I knew I had to pay attention. <laughs> Simon John, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Okay. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Who's the sheep? The church. God's people. The ones that are called by God to himself. Take care of my sheep. Jesus wants to know if we love him. Many would say, yes, Jesus is my number one. I love him deeply. But I don't like the church then you're not following Jesus. Are you following him? Are you listening to him? 
If you are, then take care of his church. You have to be there in order to be engaged and to know people. There are all kinds of different religions today. But one thing that separates out Christianity at its core, it is a with others religion. It's all about relationships. Relationships with Jesus, relationship with Jesus and relationship with each other. That's why we gather. I hear all the time the Christians say, the church is not a building. That's true, but it needs a building. So we can gather corporately all the believers. Acts 2, 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together where? In one place. That was the birth of the church. In Acts 2.42, it says this, all the believers, how many of the believers? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayers. They prioritized these spiritual practices as they gathered. It does not say they devoted themselves to their individual hobbies, to their personal entertainment, to their personal vacations, to their sports teams, or to their social media echo chambers. That's what precisely so many in the church are doing today. Then we wonder, why is there not unity? Why is there not power in my life or in the church? We don't see it. We read on 18 chapters later in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. And this is what it says. Oops, I guess I don't have it. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. This is years later. We don't just gather because we have nothing else to do. We gather because we've been told to gather, and we've been told what to do. First day of the week, what? First priority. First priority of your life. Jesus Christ and the church. Some of you have a wonderful sign in your home. The Lord is the Lord of this home. Have you ever had a meeting for the Lord in your home? This is something the early church did. It was essential. We can't get away from it. Satan's... Oh, we'll go there later. We are together in large groups, and we're gathering small groups. In the church building and outside the church building. So many people say... I heard this all the time when I was a youth pastor. My faith is personal. Great, amen, awesome. Your faith should be personal, but it shouldn't be isolated. I love to hunt and fish. I think that's one of the biggest, the community of people that don't want to be inside the church. I can worship God myself on the water. You can. I can too. But you're missing out. And what God has for you and for the church. Gathering is what we're called to do and it's essential for our faith. Number two, gathering with Christians encourages my faith. Anybody get discouraged? Need encouragement? Turn on the news? <laughs> Listen to Hebrews 10, 23 and 20 through 25. Let us hold tightly. What are you holding tightly to? Some is bitterness, anger, false hopes, worldly passions... 
Lust, hurts, lies. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. This verse is saying there's a difference between what people are saying and how they live. You say Christ is your priority. What does the message of your life say? For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Aren't you glad God's not a hypocrite? Let us think of ways to motivate. And I love what the NIV says. To spur one another on. That can be painful. It hurts. Sometimes it needs to hurt. To acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect... Read it with me. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It amazes me. Even in the early church, there's people that didn't want to meet together. And they were being called out saying, meet together. Satan's, one of his best tactics is to keep you busy. To keep us away from gathering with other people in small groups or at church. Did you know what? Satan's defeated already. And he wants to take you down with him. And he does not want FBC to succeed. Or any gospel preaching church. I've never worked out at a gym. And you can tell. I probably should. <laughs> but I have friends that do. And they said, it's always crazy. January 1, everybody makes these New Year resolutions. Oh, they're going to get back in the gym. And it's just fun to watch them try, people say. Wouldn't it be nice if you could walk in the gym like, and they're like, hey, Ryan, you look great. It doesn't happen, does it? You have to work at it to become fit. When we don't, our body changes. When we don't exercise our soul, when we don't gather together, our soul changes. And it does not get more fit, it gets more lazy, more self-centered. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Hmm. Is the world getting better or worse? Worse. Does that mean Christ is coming sooner or later? So what are we supposed to do? Gather. Gather. We all need to be encouraged. It's so easy to be discouraged in our marriage and in our singleness, with our finances, with our jobs, and you name what it is. But it's nice to be reminded at least once a week that God's still got this. That we have brothers and sisters who are fighting for you. Might not walk through the same thing, but they're fighting with you. The older I get, the more I know God is calling me to be an encourager. I, uh... I've always been an encourager, kind of one of my gifts. But the older I get, I know that God's calling me to even be more of an encourager. There were times when I was younger where I'd freak out, flip, I still do, flip out, <laughs> worry more than I should. And I look back and say, man, that's so small. Because I've watched God's faithfulness over the years. And I've watched the important things and where I put my time. So part of my job as an older Christian, as an older member of FBC, is to encourage the younger ones. Because they're raised up in a world that says, if it's tough, if it's hard, move on, give up. Go somewhere else, try something else. 
We need to have a bunch of our older saints in here that rise up and they walk alongside of the younger Christians, encouraging them. Cross country was never a sport for me. Our family was not involved in it until six, when Easton was in sixth grade. Now we have four runners, two in college, one in high school, one in, one in middle school. I am not a runner again. But you know what I can do? I can encourage them. Go, Lucy, go! It's hard. Keep trucking. And then I know you're in pain. You hate to run, but keep going. I'm not running your race, but I can encourage you. That's why I gather. It encourages my faith. Number three, we'll quickly go through these last two. Gathering with Christians empowers us. Go back to Acts chapter 4, our passage, but just verse 31, just a couple verses earlier. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was, what were they? Gathered together. Was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Church, we want to be a bold church. We need to pray and we need to gather. We need to let the Holy Spirit of God work. A few weeks ago, I wasn't preaching. Joy and Darren were preaching. And I had a guy come up to me and say, Pastor? And I'm like, oh, great. And I thought, here we go. But this is what he said. It encourages me so much when I see our pastors here when they're not preaching. I said, I don't just attend church because it's my job. I attend church because it's my calling and I love the church. When I gather with you, I feel empowered. When I'm all by myself, sometimes it's good. But eventually I feel powerless and disconnected. When I see all of you, I'm thrilled. It reminds me I'm not the only one. There are other people who love Jesus, are inspired by Jesus, trying to make sense of this world from a biblical worldview. When you're not here, part of our family is missing. I know there's a wedding today in Grand Rapids, so a bunch of the families down there, and there's people on vacations yet. I just miss them. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Truly I say, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That's power. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Why do I gather with the church? Because Jesus gathers with us. And there's power in that. And number four, gathering with believers is the future of our faith. If you don't like to gather now, you're not going to like heaven. <laughs> Hell is scattering in aloneness. Heaven is gathering. Jesus said this in Mark 13, 27. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the furthest ends of the earth and heaven. 2 Thessalonians. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Christ and how we will be what? Gathered to meet him. We're practicing here. When Jesus returns, he's going to gather his church. Those who have believed the gospel and made him Lord and Savior of his life. That's the only way that you're going to be gathered. Jesus loves the church. Ephesians 5, 25 for husbands, this means love your wives. He's talking about marriage. 
Just as Christ what? Loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Do you love the church that way? I mean, I was a farmer, loving that. God called me to go back to school. Got my degree in counseling, was farming and working at Bethany. And God said, no, I want you in the church. I want you with God's people. Gather. And if that's your call, that's great. God calls us all differently. But do you love the church? Jesus went to the cross because he loved the church. And the church is made up of people. People that will let you down. People that will have different views. People that stink. People that are sinners. But Jesus loves them all and they make up the church. Christianity is a with other religion. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to call you by name. If you're a follower of Jesus. Ryan, I can't wait to hear those words. Ryan, well done, good and faithful servant. And sit around the banqueting table with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and with those that have claimed and been called by the name of Jesus Christ. So we're going to have a time here now, a minute, to gather around the table. So men, come forward if you're going to be serving. Season 1, Episode 1 of The Chosen. Mary Magdalene is sitting in the bar. She's ordering a drink. And she hears a voice. It's not for you. And then she feels a hand touch her hand. And she runs out of the bar into the streets. What does Jesus do? He follows, follows her into the streets. And I remember watching this. Because what Jesus did is he called Mary, Mary, and her life was changed. And she began to gather with God's people and gave her life to Jesus Christ. We gather around this table because God has called every one of us. Romans, look at the next slide, please. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift from God. Your salvation is a gift from God if you have faith in Jesus Christ. But we often make this personal, don't we? Look at the context in verse 5. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, our sins, God made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. In the original language, the you is plural. So you all have been saved. When we gather here on Sunday morning, it's different than we gather with our non-Christian friends, right? There's something special about it. And God calls us to gather around this table. One more verse and we'll, we'll, we'll move, keep moving on. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. I love to come together with people who have heard the God call your name. And if God has called your name and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, this table is for you. This, this table is for all believers of Jesus Christ to gather around it. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, just pass by the plate and as it goes past and just think about where you are with Jesus. No condemnation, but just think about it. And I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that means. We are called to gather together to celebrate the Lord's Supper.